estimate reading is a responsive reading found in the bulletin. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, he that rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. The New Testament reading is found in the book of Romans chapter 2, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's return to the scripture that we read with Mary just a few moments ago from Romans chapter 13. Before we look at this passage, let's bow before the Lord as his priests together. Our Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege of worship, of meeting with you. Of joining with the angels of glory in worship. Father, do give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. We have spoken to you. And now we pray that you would, we would hear you speak to us from your word. Our Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all across Christ Presbyterian Church. Those who are concerned about their marriages. Those who are concerned about their work. Those who are concerned 
about their financial situation. Those, Father, who are sick, physically ill, Father, we thank you for how you have spared us and blessed us. We pray that you would bring healing. We pray especially this morning for James Brown. We thank you for his years and years and years of faithful service to you. We pray that, Father, you would heal him from COVID-19. We pray that you would restore him to his position at Independent, that he might continue to lead God's people in worship, in bringing glory to you through music. Our Father, we pray this morning for Billy Griggs. We pray that you might cause him to look forward. Bless him so that he will look forward with anticipation for what you have prepared for him. Teach all of us that, Father. Our Father, John Sartell cannot speak so that it will make any difference in our lives. We've come here to hear your word brought in the power of your spirit. Oh, Father, we're children asking you to teach us. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> God, government, Caesar, anarchy. God and government. You say, whoa, stop right there. We believe in the separation of church and state. We can't be talking about federal, state, and city governments in the church. Well, there are two things wrong with that statement. First, in his written word, this book, the infallible, inerrant word of God, he speaks to us very plainly about government, national, state, and city governments. Therefore, whoever establishes this rule of not speaking about government in church, if we do that, we would be rebelling against his word. We'd be refusing to hear his word. Secondly, the separation of church and state is not a separation of God in state. Even the nation's founding fathers who formed this government were very clear on this subject as they spoke of God 
in the very first sentences of the Declaration of Independence. You know those words, they're precious. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, certainly, God created the sphere of the church in mankind's culture. In that same culture, he created the sphere of the government. The church is not called to be the civil government. And the civil government is not given the keys to the kingdom. Baptism in the Lord's table, in God's word. The government's not called to be the church. Many of us are in a love-hate relationship with the government. I love hot showers. I really do. I think it's one of the greatest blessings. I'm so glad that I don't live in one of those cold huts or cold palaces back in the 15th century. I love hot showers. I love the convenience of water flowing through the pipes, hot water flowing through the pipes into our houses. I don't want to go back to the days of the outhouse. I love the sewer lines which carry away waste. We love roads, interstate highways. These are products of government. However, when the government is working on the interstate highway or working on a road in our community and we're causing long delays in, in local traffic patterns, we're not so enamored, are we? When I'm stopped for driving, when I'm stopped driving 75 miles an hour and given a citation for driving 75 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. I'm not prone to complimentary statements. We usually say things like, don't you have something better to do than this? We do not have time this morning to go into an exhaustive study on God and government. We do not have time to look at that several, we do have time to look at several basic truths set forth in Scripture that are basic to our understanding of the present state of affairs in our country. As we look at Romans 13, Paul tells us that government and officers of the government are ordained by God. Look at it, Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to, govern to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror, excuse me, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. What is Paul saying? He's saying government is a good thing. This is not something that Paul came up with just as he wrote the New Testament. He got it from Scripture. This this goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Government is implied in the creation mandate in Genesis 1. Look at verse Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gave man the responsibility to govern his creation. Adam and Eve were vice regents. This implies the institution of family. This implies the institution of government. Bringing order to his creation. It implies the institution of agriculture. It implies the institution of education, the institution of business and trade. The problem is that Genesis 1 is quickly followed by Genesis 3. Man rebels against his creator. Man rebelled against God. Man's nature was changed. We don't know what government without sin would have looked like. We, we've learned what government by sinful man looks like. We've just finished studying. This, this grew out, in, in some ways, this grew out of our study of Elijah. We've just finished seeing the anti-God culture and government of King Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel. But we can also point in Scripture to good and righteous government. Good and righteous government that's possible even in a fallen world. This morning, we read the last words of David from 2 Samuel 23. What did David say? He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of of God. Here he is on his deathbed. He's been one of the greatest kings in all of history. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. So you have the illustration of Ahab. You have the illustration of an opposite government. Government under David. There are illustrations of evil, evil rulers in ancient history. Nero, Caligula. But that evil wasn't because they were ancient or because they were 
uneducated. Modern man, with all of his scientific advances, has not eradicated the evil heart. Think about it. Think about the governments that were produced in the 20th century. The 20th century produced governments and leaders which dominated over half the world with unrivaled hatred, cruelty, enslavement, destruction, and genocide. 20th century gave birth to Hitler's Third Reich, the killing, murder of six million people just because they were Jewish. We had the Marxist regimes of Lenin and Stalin in Russia and Mao and China. But the creation mandate from God has never been removed. That's what Paul was reiterating in Romans 13. He advocated submission to government. Look, go back to that first verse. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Stop right there. Let's be clear. God reigns. There's no atoms and molecules out there flying around loose. No ruler sits in authority apart from his sovereign will. Look at Daniel 2.20. Just put this in, get this in our minds. Look what Daniel said. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He removes kings. He sets up kings. In the conversation, in, in, in a, a historical situation, you see a, a narrative, a story with Jesus before Pilate. We've looked at this time and time again. Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Do you understand what kind of power I have, Jesus? And what was Jesus' answer? Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus was not giving a lecture on God and government. The Son of God was speaking to a local governor who thought he had been placed in this position of authority by Caesar. Jesus was stating a truth about every leader who has ever served in any political office in all of history. That truth, that that individual has been placed there, was placed there by God. God reigns over every such office. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So now come back to the text in Romans in verse 2. Therefore, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. 
It was an amazing thing. When Paul wrote this, David was not on the throne in Rome. A great and godly man was not on the throne in Rome. Caesar was on the throne when Paul wrote that. Do you understand? This is the book of Romans. He was writing to the church in Rome. You be subject to Caesar. He was writing to the Christians of Rome. He said that even though Paul would eventually be martyred by the Caesar in Rome. Listen to Peter, who would also be martyred. He echoed the words of Paul. Look on your scripture sheet. Look in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The very government that martyred Peter and Paul, that same government in God's providence aided and abetted the spread of Christianity. They did it unwittingly. Rome did it unwittingly. How did they do that? We've discussed this before. In this room, there was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. There was a state-enforced, a Rome-enforced tranquility that existed throughout the Mediterranean world, the Roman Empire, for 250 years. Augustus, Caesar Augustus, laid the foundation for this period of peace. It expended from Spain to Persia, from North Africa to Germany. The empire protected and governed individual provinces throughout the Roman Empire, permitting each to make and administer its own laws while accepting Roman taxation and military control. It was during that peace and in that peace that Christianity exploded. Then there was the cursus publicus. You know what that was? The curious publicus. It was the Roman postal system. The development of Rome from a small city-state to a vast empire required that Rome be able to communicate in a speedy way with faraway provinces and capitals. They developed a postal system, the speed of which was not equaled again until the 19th century. They were able to travel. This postal system was able to travel 170 miles in a night and a day. They traveled on a Roman road system. That road system stretched from Italy northward to Gaul and to England, westward to Spain, 
south to North Africa, a, a highway ran across the coast of Northern Africa. Then it moved east. Roads from Rome moved east through Greece all the way to Persia. These roads were noted for their straightness, their solid foundations. They were uh, cambered surfaces that facilitated drainage. They used concrete made from volcanic ash and lime. The Roman peace, the Roman postal system, and the Roman road system, all produced by the government of Rome, made possible these Roman military conquests, but also it aided the rapid spread of Christianity. <clears throat> That's what Paul was saying. Be subject to those leaders that God has placed over you. R.C. Sproul was speaking to, a, to the governor of Florida, speaking at his inauguration. And during that ceremony, when he got up to, to speak, he was a chosen speaker of the day. He looked at the governor and said, today is your ordination day. Today is your ordination day. He read from this passage and he said, you have been ordained. Just like I was ordained inside the church is what he said. He said, just like I was ordained inside the church as a minister of God, you are being ordained by God. To govern Florida. Today's your ordination day. Government and officers of government are ordained by God. Secondly, government and officers of government are ordained by God to prevent anarchy. Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive this his approval. For he is God's servant, God's minister for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. What is the opposite of the creation mandate to establish authority and order? What's the opposite of that? It's anarchy. Look up the definition of anarchy. It's a state of disorder due to the absence or non-recognition of authority and order. Our word anarchy comes from the Greek word, two Greek words, on and arkos. On meaning without, arkos meaning chief or leader. Without a chief, without a leader. Anarchy is a mob Without rational leadership. So how does government, how does Paul say that government prevents chaos in our anarchy? We read in verse 4 about the sword of the government. What makes up that sword? It has two parts. There's the rule of law. We have a Congress and Senate that establishes laws for the nation. We have a state. We have state representatives that, that establish laws and order in states. That's the first part of that sword. 
The second part is there's an enforcement of that law by city and state and federal forces. There's the federal force, the federal sword of the FBI. There's the state police. There's the city police, the Oakland police, the Somerville police. All these are offices of government, officers of the government. They represent the sword of the government. We are hearing 21st century anarchists, Marxist anarchists, saying do away with the police. Let the anarchists carry the sword with mob rules. Burn what you will. That's still with us. In the era covered by the book of Judges, we read for most of that period, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the last sentence of the book of Judges. Very last sentence. Read it today. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We seem to be entering that period in the United States. Just, just do whatever you want to do. Do what's do what you want to do. We're seeing a major effort in this country to deconstruct the order that has been established by the Constitution. To, de to deconstruct even state and local police. But we say, what if, what if the kings and governors and rulers and representatives establish bad laws? that are in conflict with our biblical ethics and our faith in God. Well, that's why Peter and Paul were martyred. If they had bound the knee to the claims of deity made by the Caesars, they could have followed Jesus. Just so they bowed to Caesar first. They wouldn't do that. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar as God. They had been good citizens of Babylon, seeking, seeking the good of the city until the king passed a law demanding that they kneel before his great statue in worship. You can burn us in your furnace. We will not worship you. Sometimes there will be Christians today who will take that position in different parts of our world. Government and officers of government are ordained by God. Government and officers of government are ordained by God to prevent anarchy. Thirdly, we are called to participate in this government. Look at verses 6 and 7. This passage is so easily outlined. Look at verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. God is telling us to participate in this government 
in paying the taxes to support the cost of government. We're to participate also in our respectful and honorable subjection to its authority. So we have this honorable subjection to the authority and we pay taxes. We participate in these two ways. I couldn't help it when I was writing this. Don't you just love, don't you just love paying those levied taxes to the city or to the, to the county or to the, you know, on April 15th of, of every year? It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we don't like the way the government spends our money. That's hard. Do I show respect to whom respect is due in government? Sometimes that's hard. For years I have adopted, forced myself, and adopted the habit of saying to any government official, thank you for what you're doing. When, 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 you're, when you are a conservative Republican, that's hard to say to a liberal Democrat. We all know these things. Or if we're, we're Democrats, it's hard to say sometimes to Republicans. Thank you for what you... It's hard to say to a policeman when he's given you a ticket. It's hard to say, thank you for what you're doing. That's what we're required to do. But there are three other ways that we are given that we can participate in determining the leaders of our government. In the creation mandate to rule and subdue the earth, God called us in various ways to participate in governing his creation. In looking at our lives, we govern our families. We look at our lives, we govern our businesses. We govern our own personal property. We can see many different ways that we fulfill that calling. As an extension of that, you may feel called or challenged to seek to be one of these local or state or federal government officials. You know, I've, I love this year that we have at least, and Bill may correct me and say there's more than this, but we, we have at least two people that attend Christ Presbyterian Church right now that are running for political office. Good for them. We can, you know, that's, that's opened up. We can participate. You know, most in, in, in most of the history of the world, people living down on this everyday level had no way of participating in government. However, in the governmental structure of our country, God has given us a privilege that is very rare in the entire history of nations and kingdoms of this world. 
In God's providence, he's given us as citizens of the United States the privilege and responsibility of participating in the appointment of governmental officials on every level. We participate in the election of municipal council persons locally in our cities, mayors, governors, state representatives, national representatives, senators, and presidents. Our theology tells us that this is a gift from God. Think about it. Just this week in our study from Revelation chapter 8, in our Wednesday p.m. adult studies, we have seen that, that God builds our prayers into his providence that governs our history. He says, I use your prayers in fulfilling my providence. Now, who of us would say we should not pray about local, state, and national leaders? Every one of us say we should pray for them. We should be involved in that way. We're allowed to participate in that way. What a privilege to be able to pray that way. Well, he's given us in this particular time another incredible gift. As we said, most of the earth's population at any age has not been able to vote. To have a vote, Paul couldn't have a vote about Caesar. In in our world today, you know, what kind of vote do people have in communist China? What kind of vote do people have in Soviet Russia? How did we come by this rare opportunity in this land? Our sovereign God gave us this privilege. How we use this privilege is a heavy responsibility. We're participating by our prayers and our votes in the providence of God in a way that determines our leaders. In 2016, 58.4%. 58.4% of eligible voters voted in the election. That means over 40% of our nation said, no, not going to vote. People, this is a gift from God. Remember the parable of the talents? The message of the parable was God will hold us accountable. For the gifts he's given us. God will hold us accountable. For how we use this gift of voting. We say to elected officials. As Christians. One day you will give an account. For what you did with this office. Hitler thought that he escaped. Giving an account. When he committed suicide. He didn't escape. God will hold him accountable. 
And God will hold us accountable for what we do with this rare and incredible privilege we have been given in participating in whom God will place in office. What are we going to do with that gift? We are to bring, think about it this way, we are to bring biblical wisdom to bear on the ballot box. The world will surely bring their ungodly principles to bear on that ballot box. Who's going to bring the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God's word to bear at the ballot box? That's the responsibility, the privilege that we've been given. We've heard from Romans 13. We have an appropriate hymn to sing. Christ shall have dominion over land and sea. 